You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs. With flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hi, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show. There was a story in my favorite newspaper, the New York Post, yesterday on how Generation Z has no friends. It was based on a study out of Australia done by Bumble, the dating site. Not entirely sure why Bumble is looking into this, but maybe the future really is, as uh, my guest Mary Catherine Ham said a few days ago, a Tinder for friends. It's not just Australia, and it's clearly not just Gen Z. There have been so many studies done on how people just can't seem to connect, and a lot of it is correctly blamed on social media. Social media turns friendship and dating, but that's a whole other episode, into something similar to a video game. You're, you know, swiping, you're leaving comments, you're clicking like, you're commenting slay on each other's content, but never really having a friendship. But I'd say that the problem is wider than just that video game sensation, which I do think is a problem. I think that especially, again, in dating, I think people see swiping as like you're doing something when you're really not doing all that much. But I think one of the big issues with social media is how self-conscious it makes us and how obsessed we become with how we are perceived. Like, is this my best angle? Do I look cool? Who's going to see this? What are they going to think of me? All of that really hinders who you actually are. And friendship, let's be real, is about letting down that guard. It's about being goofy um, and not spending the whole time thinking about how you look or how it's going to appear later on social media and how you're going to document it for Instagram. All of that is sort of a deterrent to real friendship. And look, I'm not against social media. I've made amazing friends on Twitter, for example. But we take that friendship off the internet and into our real lives. I think what I'm seeing younger people do is taking friends that they have in real life, putting it on the internet, and just keeping it there. So you meet somebody maybe at school, you become friends on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever the kids these days are doing, 
And then you just spend your time liking each other's pictures or stories or, um, you know, videos and not actually seeing each other in real life. I think that's kind of backwards. Um, I think what you should be doing maybe is using the internet to meet people and then taking that into your, you know, IRL as the kids say. So a lot of things are going on in the world. Why am I focused on whether, you know, 20 somethings or people of any age have friends? Well, what I want this podcast to be about is bigger ideas and bigger themes than just what's in the news today. It's a challenging time for that. I'm not going to lie. But the fact that people are lonely and they don't have friends is something that should be concerning to all of us. That loneliness leads to higher anxiety and higher depression rates. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It's not good for you not to have friends. It leads to a less pleasant world. The person who cut you off in traffic and gave you the middle finger just probably doesn't have a wide network of support. Uh, this did actually happen to me the other day in Costco, and I just imagine the sad life the guy must be leading angry enough to give me a middle finger, like in you know the happiest place on earth, the Costco parking lot. And if you're listening to this and you're having a tough time connecting to people, I can suggest a few steps. I feel like there's lots of times in your life that you're going to have to make new friends and it's not easy. It is not easy. I'm a very friendly person, but I understand that it's, it's not easy to just start a new friendship. But if you want to make friends and connect, there are certainly some things you can do. And the first thing, again, is moving your life somewhat offline. And I know it's tough. I'm, I'm an internet junkie. I really am. I don't watch any TV. Um, the TV is never on in my house when I'm there alone. Um, other people might turn it on, but I, I just never even think about it. I refresh Twitter and Facebook and Instagram a lot. I do. I admit it. But a few times a year, I take an extensive break from Twitter and I, I only Twitter, because look, while I enjoy Facebook and Instagram, the way people might enjoy an occasional drink, uh, Twitter is my social media drug of choice that I find very hard to stop. So I take these breaks and the first time I did it, I took Twitter off my phone and my finger would like just automatically go to the place on the phone where Twitter used to be. It's like, it would just hit the blank spot. And I realized how, you know, how crazy that is. Obviously it was really tough. It was hard. I missed Twitter. I wanted back on Twitter. I couldn't wait to get back on Twitter, but then future breaks got easier. And even that break after the first few days, I wasn't longing for it anymore. I didn't even think about it. Future breaks got easier and it got to the point where I now I look forward to those breaks. The second thing you have to do is make the first move. You know, what I hear from people who say they don't have friends is that they want a group of friends. That's a very common thing for younger people, especially to say like, oh, somebody has a really good group of friends and I want a group of friends. Okay. Start with one person, invite them somewhere, dinner, drinks, an activity. If you have a connection over an activity that you already enjoy, that would be a good place to start. Like in your head, think to yourself, like we should go and then whatever is a natural conclusion to that question is where you should, you know, take that first friend opportunity. If you haven't even gotten to this step, like seeing a person that you might want to befriend, um, I know it's a cliche, but I think hobbies is really the way to go with this. Uh, for me, I love poker. I play No Limit Hold'em. I have made dozens of friends through poker. And, you know, side note to single women, 
Poker is an amazing place to meet men. Men outnumber women by a lot. It's a casual social atmosphere. Um, but take it seriously because there's nothing worse than the woman who like tee-hee-hees her way through a poker game. Like learn to play, you know, get your poker face on and go make some friends or go meet a man. But if you have two friends who enjoy activity X, sure, invite them both and you have an instant group. But I'm just saying that's a, a little bit tougher than just making one friend and then adding on another, et cetera. Um, the main thing to do is to do the inviting. People forget that other people also want to make friends and connect. They're likely not going to say no to you. So be brave and make the first move. And my last tip is go easy on yourself and know that developing friendships takes time. Our Insta culture leads you to believe that things should happen quickly and easily, but that's really just not how it works. Uh, I think that, you know, don't berate yourself like, oh, I have no friends. And this is actually what I'm seeing on social media. This is sort of what sparked this monologue is that I, I see these, like, again, I don't, I'm not on TikTok. I watch the reels. I see these reels where these young women are like making fun of themselves for having no friends. And then like years later, they still have no friends and how horrible that is. It is horrible. Actually. I, I don't, I don't minimize that. Um, but it's not going to happen overnight and it will be a process. I end my interview segments usually by asking people to give a tip to my listeners on how they can improve their lives. Well, one of my top tips easily is to prioritize friendships. I, I do think that it's so important and it is so beneficial in so many different areas of your life. Even if you're married and have a family, if you have no friends, it's sort of tough. And that loneliness that you might not have, you know, as vibrantly as people who don't have a relationship also um, still exists. And I think that you should tend to it. You shouldn't just ignore it. Make it an essential part of your life to develop friendship. It matters. Coming up after the break, my interview with Brad Wilcox, professor and director of the National Marriage Project at UVA, a fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, and the author of the new book coming out in February called Get Married. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. 
That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show. My guest today is Brad Wilcox, University of Virginia sociologist, fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, and author of the upcoming book, Get Married, coming out on Valentine's Day, and you can pre-order it now wherever you buy books. I first got to know Brad on Twitter, where he has a very matter-of-fact style in showing the benefits of marriage and the problems of our declining marriage rates in America. Thank you for coming on, Brad. It's good to be here today, Carol. So let's get right into it. Which societal problems do you trace back to a declining marriage rates? You know, there, there are a lot of them. You know, I think a lot of the issues that kind of generate, you know, our public conversation, things like race, you know, economic inequality, government spending, you know, educational policy. I mean, these are all things that are important, but on some of the outcomes that we're kind of talking about, we're kind of missing the way in which the family factor actually matters more. So look, for instance, at recent declines in happiness across the United States that we've been chronicling. Um, and there's a new study from Chicago just showing that the biggest factor driving that decline in happiness is falling marriage rates. And unfortunately, those have been kind of concentrated among working class and poor Americans. So kind of one example, um, I think we're all concerned too about sort of the health of the American dream, kind of the way in which, you know, ordinary Americans can kind of realize some measure of economic success. And we know from the work of Raj Chetty at Harvard and his colleagues that the number one predictor he found in his work of kind of uh, mobility for poor kids in communities across the U.S. was the share of two-parent families in those communities. So those are kind of just two examples of the ways in which kind of the family factor uh, figures uh, in important ways and in ways that are often not acknowledged, not talked about in today's culture. Right. So obviously, you know, you um, kind of push actual marriage, but you hear a lot of young people say like, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper and it's the relationship that really matters. Do you agree with that? 
Well, it's interesting too. I think what you're hearing is there's often kind of a conversation, both in a sense from the online right manosphere and then sort of from the kind of um, more progressive left female sphere um, that kind of is in some ways and ironically kind of uh, very similar. And so when you listen to someone like Andrew Tate talking about marriage, he basically says mm-hmm. there's no ROI, there's no return on investment for men. Right. And when you hear a lot of younger journalists and other kind of culture shapers from the left, predominantly female, they often make kind of the same argument. And they also make the argument like Tate that kind of financially, it's better just to kind of stay single and not to kind of invest in marriage. But we know kind of empirically that those positions on sort of the far right and and the the left today are are false. Um, We know that married folks, both men and women, are in much better shape financially, uh, both in terms of their income, but also in terms of assets that they're acquiring. What I see among 50-somethings, for instance, for both men and women is they have about, you know, eight, nine, ten times the assets if they're stably married compared to their divorced and never married peers. When it comes to happiness for both men and women, they're about twice as likely to be very happy with their lives if, um, if they are married. And cohabitation doesn't kind of measure up here because it's just much less stable. So we just see is that folks who are cohabiting don't tend to go the distance, you know, lacking the kind of legal recognition, the big ceremony, you know, for some it's religious peace. Um, you know, they just don't have all the kind of cultural benefits that marriage still today delivers um, in, in this country. Right. So I've seen you argue with people who are themselves doing what you suggest, you know, getting married, living stable lives, but they say to other people that it's really not that important. So why do you think that is? Are they just trying to be nice to other people making who are making, you know, other choices and not following the marriage life? Yeah. I mean, it's funny this morning, I was having kind of an argument with an online activist about kind of the relative value of marriage and even what's called the success sequence. We've tangled on that issue before as well. And this is the idea that kind of getting at least a high school degree, working full time and marrying before having kids, those three steps, you know, education, work and marriage are linked to much better financial outcomes for young adults. He's kind of argued against that case. Now, of course, the irony is that this guy has himself followed the sequence. You know, he's gotten his education, he's gotten a job, he's gotten married before having his children. So this is pretty common among a lot of elites who kind of object to either the success sequence idea or to marriage, you know, itself. They themselves are married, benefiting from the the legal and cultural and financial, you know, benefits that flow from marriage, but kind of being reluctant to talk about it in public. There's a lot, I think, kind of behind that. I think one issue is that they have kind of this leftist idea that money is what really matters, that structure is what really matters. And if we kind of just have, you know, giving people, you know, more money, um, or if we just make sure people have good jobs, that everything else will kind of fall into place. And the problem with that mindset is it doesn't recognize that culture matters as well, that institutions matter as well, and that people are more likely to flourish when they actually embrace marriage as an institution. And what I'm seeing in my new book coming out, as you said, for Valentine's Day, is that those Americans who are more religious or who are more conservative or who are Asian American or who are college educated Mm -hmm. and embrace a lot of the values and virtues that are classically linked to marriage, things like, you know, commitment, fidelity, for instance, um, are the ones who enjoy not just the most stable family lives, but also the happiest marriages. So there's something about you know, marriage itself that matters for the quality and stability of family life, uh, even in, in 2023 in America today. 
So I'm sure you've saw, I'm sure you've seen that study uh, from a few months back where parents were asked what is important for them for their kids to have, and a, a greater, far greater number of parents said that they wanted financial stability for their kids rather than the child get married. I mean, so what do you do about that? How, if parents are saying, "Look, for us, it's important that our kid has." Um, you know, financial stability and finds a, a job that they enjoy, et cetera, um, more than the fact that they get married, which, you know, really is a societal ender, right? I mean, I've never met parents who didn't want to have grandchildren. I mean, to me, it's an easy call. I have three kids. I mean, do I want them to be financially stable? Sure. But do I want grandkids way more than that? Absolutely. So what do you do about, you know, kind of just the fact that parents themselves are not pushing marriage on their kids? Yeah, no, it's striking. This was uh, Pew's study of parents. They have a new survey out just of ordinary Americans, kind of the basic same story, and that is that American adults tend to think that especially work is going to be more fulfilling for them than marriage and, and parenthood. And, you know, my new book, uh, you know, argues just the opposite, that in fact, when you look at what kind of predicts happiness for Americans, what you find is that marriage does a better job than employment and certainly money um, and education. And a good marriage is just like the most important factor in predicting people's happiness. It's far more important than self-rated health, religious practice, sexual frequency. I mean, you, you kind of name the variable and a good marriage um, is more important. So I think people are not recognizing, not realizing, including parents, as you just noted, Carol, how much kind of family matters across the life course and, you know, into their, their late years. And I think it's going to be a rude surprise for a lot of these parents today who've kind of prioritized education and work career for their kids to end up heading into their sixties and seventies without, you know, grandkids. I mean, it's just going to be uh, devastating, I think for them. So yeah, there's, we have to kind of change the mindset and just kind of educate people that family matters uh, more than, than career. I mean, just the fact that, you know, married people make more money, save more money. I, to me, that's such an easy call. So you're prioritizing work life for your kids, but the fact is that they would have a much better work life if they got married. And, you know, all the stats prove this out. Um, I think one of the interesting ones to me was that single women used to make more money than married women, but now that's flipped. And now married women make more money than single women. Um, and that's, you know, with the very expensive children that we have, uh, that still ends up being true. So, well, so I guess, yeah. yeah so okay. that, it's important to kind of distinguish between kind of marriage women and motherhood. So we still see a huge, you know, motherhood penalty when it comes to income, individual income for women. But what we do see is that overall, um, you know, married mothers have more household income than their single peers, obviously single mothers, but also single childless women. Um, and stably married women, as I found it, you know, my own research are doing well in terms of their assets as they, you know, hit their fifties, getting closer to retirement. So uh, we, we can't kind of minimize the fact that there are some choices between kind of like being, you know, a parent and being childless when it comes to mm-hmm. sort of how much you invest in your job. But, you know, overall, the folks who get married and stay married are much more likely to be flourishing financially. And again, I think on this question of fulfillment, which Pew has been, you know, looking at, Americans think it's about the job. And in reality, we know it's about, you know, having good family relationships and good friendships. Those are much more important. 
So what advice do you give to young people on how to achieve that lasting marriage so that their kids do have all the advantages of a stable home, but the couple is also happy? Like what, you know, do you have advice for young people? Sure. So for folks who are not married, I think the sort of the point I would make is like, you know, look around, you know, kind of try to, we do find that people who kind of meet through their social circles and those can be kind of diffuse, tend to do um, better oftentimes, whether it's at college or in some kind of religious context, a church, synagogue, temple, mosque, whatever it might be. So I think kind of recognizing that you have social, you know, networks and to work with them, use them. If you're in college to recognize that you're never going to be around so many young people, you know, and so it's good to kind of see if there are any good options for, you know, for marriage in terms of dating in college. And so that's sort of one thing that I would say. And then as people move into their 20s to kind of have that same mentality of folks that they're meeting through work, folks that they're meeting through friends. Um, and then if they're not having success, you know, kind of through these in-person relationships, there are certain apps that are more, you know, marriage friendly um, today that we're seeing kind of emerge. So, you know, not Tinder, but there are other apps that are um, that are quite intentional about making marriage the, the priority. And I think that's that's what people should be looking if they're not finding success kind of in, in these in-person contexts. So that's one thing. It's kind of being more intentional about marriage. Mm-hmm. And for folks who are skeptical of this you know, argument that I'm making, we do see that, again, that young conservative and young religious adults are just much more likely to be getting married today. So that's just kind of one right. piece of evidence that kind of putting yourself in certain networks and contexts and being intentional about marriage does seem to be related to greater success. Now, what about then being successfully married? And in the book, I articulate kind of the importance of things like commitment, having this idea that marriage is uh, for life um, and not kind of putting divorce, you know, on the table verbally or otherwise when you're, you know, having a fight or some kind of difficulty with your spouse, which, you know, every marriage right. has. Mm-hmm. Um, fidelity, kind of being careful about, you know, sort of what you do with your free time socially and, you know, being prudent in that regard to kind of protect your marriage and to make it clear to other folks in your social networks that your spouse is your top priority. Mm-hmm. I talked to about kind of the role of community and for folks who are religious, that means plugging into a congregation of one sort or another. For folks who are not, it means kind of surrounding yourself with people who are kind of living family-centered lives. Um, we are social animals. And if our friends are likely to be forging stable marriages, our odds of being stably married are just much higher. Whereas if our friends, you know, are getting divorced or not taking their marriages seriously, our odds of failing at marriage are just uh, much higher. So kind of being intentional about that. Um, And then I talked to you about communion in marriage Um, in a variety of ways, like practically it means things like, you know, sharing the same bank account. Um, There's a fascinating new study out showing that couples who are randomly assigned to having joint accounts did much better in their first two years of marriage compared to couples who are randomly assigned to having separate accounts. And the point right there is it's about kind of a we before me mentality in terms of how you think about your money. And that extends, of course, to, you know, a broader array of uh, marital choices one would make. Another example of community is just regular date nights. Um, so one thing I see today, particularly among more educated and affluent couples with kids is that kind of, they're so focused on having the kids do like travel soccer and violin and, you know, all the <laughs> school activities, et cetera, mm-hmm. that something is lost and that something is kind of the spark in their marriage. And so what I would kind of urge all those kinds of couples to do is just not to lose sight of the fact that it's important to set aside time for your relationship. And so like having a regular date night 
I might try to do Friday nights, for instance, is is really helpful and, and is, is one of the sort of the strongest purpose that we see um, of a strong and stable marriage. We're going to take a quick break and be right back on The Carol Markowitz Show. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. I think that a lot of the pro-marriage arguments tend to be kind of dry and focus really only on the children. But the kids are, you know, obviously very important, but only really just one part of the relationship. And if you want the relationship to, you know, persevere after the kids go to college and after they move on with their lives, like I think it requires some work. Um, so let's say somebody believes you that, you know, the benefits of two parent families are undeniable and that this is definitely the way to go, especially to, to, to raise, you know, happy, successful children. What do you say to the argument that sometimes it's just the luck of the draw for people that they marry people, they end up divorcing or they have kids on their own, whether they wanted to or not. Like, how do we clear that hurdle um, and, you know, kind of move people in the direction of having stable marriages when sometimes it just doesn't work out? Well, there's no question that obviously there are plenty of relationships that don't work out and there are plenty of families that aren't stably married. I was raised by a single mother. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. like it's a common reality in our society, too, mm -hmm. obviously. So. Um, and it's not the end of the world. You know, there are plenty of folks, myself included, have done just fine, you know, being raised by single parents. Obviously, Barack Obama would be another example. And we could talk about, I mean, you know, any number of people, you know, um, Jeff Bezos being obviously another example of someone who's been successful um, as a, you know, as a, as a professional. Um, so it's important just to acknowledge that from the get-go. But what I'm suggesting in, in the work that I'm doing is that a kind of marriage mindset really gives you a leg up in forging a strong and stable marriage that 
for most people, most of the time delivers not just stability, of course, no surprise there, but a higher quality marriage as well. And that's because people are more likely to invest in intimacy to have good relationships when there is a foundation of security and trust in their relationship. And so if you have this marriage mindset, if you embrace commitment, if you are deliberate about being faithful to your spouse, you know, if you're setting aside time for them and for your family, you know, this is not rocket science. It's, you know, <laughs> but of course we all struggle, uh-huh. you know, we all, it's just like yeah. we all struggle with like mm-hmm. eating right. I mean, we all know what sort of like sure. food is, all that stuff, but mm-hmm. and it's the same thing for family life. If you are faithful, if you're committed, if you invest time and emotional energy into your spouse and your kids, um, you know, if, particularly if you're the guy, if you're, you know, a decent, um, worker, you know, holding down a full-time job, you know, and if you're surrounded by other people who are, you know, intentional about treating their spouse and their kids, well, your odds of flourishing are very high, you know? Um, but if you don't do those things, um, and also if you marry someone who, you know, is not committed to marriage and who is not a good friend, who doesn't share a lot, you know, of core commitments and interests with you, then your odds of flourishing obviously much, much lower. So that's, again, I mean, not, not, not everyone makes good choices, bad things happen. Um, that's part of the reality of life, obviously, but there are ways to kind of increase your odds of succeeding in marriage. And, and my book will kind of detail a number of those ways when it comes out in February. Awesome. So I've been asking this question um, of my guests. This is the last question. And I feel like I know what you're going to say, but end with your best tip for listeners on how they can improve their lives. Well, obviously my book is entitled Get Married. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's, right. that's part of the story that I'm obviously telling. But it's also about, as I said, too, what I call forging a family first marriage, where your spouse knows that they're your kind of top, you know, priority basically. And your kids know that, you know, that they're the kind of next priority, you know, in your life and where your emotional energy and your time and your resources kind of reflect that. Um, and the kind of people that you surround yourself with also kind of have that sort of family first, you know, mentality. Uh, so that would be my tip in terms of, you know, if you're looking to establish a meaningful life, a life that's not, um, as likely to be lonely. Um, I mean, I'm certainly, I've got a lot of kids. I'm, there are many times when I'm, you know, upset, I'm frustrated, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. frazzled, but I'm never, I'm never lonely. And most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. And what we see again in the broader research is that people who have this kind of family first mindset in their marriages are just much more likely to be flourishing today. Thank you so much, Brad. The book is called Get Married. It's coming out Valentine's Day and you can pre-order it now. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Carol. Thank you for joining me on the Carol Markowitz Show, part of the Clay and Buck Podcast Network on iHeartRadio. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.